Good morning, church. You know, last week we started a, a series called Wait For It, a series where we're talking about what it means to wait in a season of excitement, a season of Christmas that reminds us of those who waited on Jesus before, the Messiah promised, and those of us who now wait for him to return again. Last week we talked about the story of Joseph, not Joseph in the New Testament. This is Old Testament Joseph. You know, Joseph, amazing technicolor dream coat, that Joseph. And, uh, and we were reminded of his story. But, but this waiting is something that just like Joseph, we all experience. Uh, sometimes it's in really difficult ways, and sometimes it's in uh, not so difficult ways. One of uh, the studies I saw recently that talked about waiting was found in the Wall Street Journal, and it was talking about uh, sporting events and the amount of action that goes on during the three or four hour uh, you know, event. I was talking about in, in the game of baseball, how, how many minutes of action there is versus how much waiting there is. It's 18 minutes of actual baseball in a baseball game while you sit there for four hours at the game or on your couch. Later tonight, many of us will be watching uh, a game, the Cowboys, and, and the Wall Street Journal says that it's 11 minutes of action in a football game with all the commercials and all the huddle and all that goes on in between. We, just an example like that tells us, I think, how much we spend waiting. And, and in many ways, it's more difficult than just waiting on the next play, isn't it? It's uh, difficult things that go on in our lives. I appreciate the feedback from this last week, the way our Connecting Point groups were able to engage the conversation about how we wait well. That's really what this series is about, is we all are going to have seasons of waiting. It's not if, it's how we will choose to wait. And we saw in the story of Joseph last week, the reminder that in the lowest moments of Joseph's life, you know, from, thir- from, from age 17 to 30, 13 years, Joseph was either in prison or in slavery. And it was how he waited. It was waiting expectantly on what God would do that got him through those times, but didn't just move him through it uh, begrudgingly. It, it changed him, that time of waiting. And through that time, he was open to see God. He was changed in his heart. He responded instead of with revenge with forgiveness of his brothers and saved his whole family. And so the first lesson for waiting well in our lives last week we talked about is waiting with expectancy. Psalm 5.3 we mentioned that we lay our requests before God and wait expectantly for what he will do. For some of you, this word this morning is a different word than that. That was one option last week, but today I want to set before you another way that God might call you to, to, to act, to to move in the season of waiting. It's the story of Noah. If you have your Bibles, open with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 6. We'll begin reading there in, in just a moment, so go ahead and get your Bible set up and ready. But I want to begin with prayer as we open this time in the Word. Fathers, I've had conversations this week with people in this church and outside of this church. I've been reminded of the difficult waiting that goes on in our lives. So God, right now in the midst of this waiting, we, I just give a moment right now for us to lift those situations to you that you would hear our prayer this morning, each and every one of the, the times of waiting we have. And Father, for each one of these situations that's been named, would you move, would you act, would you speak this morning? directly into situations I just have no idea of this morning. I pray that you would comfort and that you would encourage and that you would exhort 
that we would walk out more assured of who we are and what our story is and what we're called to do and who we're called to be in this season. Uh, We thank you, God, for this season that reminds us of Jesus and his birth. And uh, God, I pray that you would pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everyone who agreed said, Amen. Genesis 6, beginning in verse 1. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them. They were the heroes of old, men of renown. Now, let me stop right here and say, I don't have a clue what these verses are talking about. Um, But I will tell you, Galen, I'm sure, is preparing a class on this. And so if you want to ask someone, go talk to Galen Jones, one of our ministers. He can fill you in. Let's keep reading verse 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. And then comes the surprise in verse 8, in the midst of all this evil. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now these verses introduce us to Noah in some interesting ways, don't they? Yeah, there's this story before about who, who knows what's going on, but there's violence on the earth. But what do we find described about Noah? Noah found favor in God's eyes. Noah was blameless. He was an upright man. He walked faithfully with God. Now, I I don't know, if if Scripture were writing my story, I think it would be a great thing to be described as blameless. That seems like a difficult hurdle to clear, doesn't it? But I'll tell you, just because Scripture describes you as blameless doesn't mean your life goes real easy. (laughs) Exhibit one would be the story of Job. Job 1.1, this is what it says there. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. Uh, And if you read the rest of the story, you realize that though Job was blameless and upright, doesn't mean that he got a pass from the difficulties that life brought to him. And the same is true for Noah. Noah lives in a time of great difficulty and great challenge. I want to share this with you, this phrase about blamelessness because some of you right now are walking uh, through some difficult situations and in those difficult situations it's easy to begin to wonder God what have I done wrong Uh, and there are times where our sin leads to consequences but there are also times where we haven't done anything wrong and difficulty comes and we can't understand fully what that is but I want to remind you as I, I see this detail in the story of Noah it's The difficulty in our lives is not always a result of sin. John 9 is this man born blind, and those around Jesus are saying, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus says, no, you misunderstood. So I just want to bring comfort to you. It may be that you've brought the difficulty on yourself. Certainly I've been in those situations where sin 
has led to consequences, but, but that's not always the case. The life of Noah lets us know that challenges are not always the result of our mistakes. Let's look at what happens to Noah. Let's read on verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy uh, both them and the earth. That's the bad news, but there's good news that follows. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it. Coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you were to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make a lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you. You will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you and be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and stored away as food for you and for them. And Noah did everything just as God commanded him. And God says, there's a lot of bad news here. Violence, corruption, evil has come on the earth, but I'm going to save you and your family. And, And so here is this time of waiting, right? God has said what will happen. But what does God command Noah to do in the midst of the waiting? And I think this may be a word for for some of you this morning who are walking through seasons of waiting. For some, it's wait expectantly. Be changed in the waiting. Don't waste the waiting. But this morning, I want to remind you of the story of Noah, that Noah, when he waits, gets to work. Noah gets to work in the midst of his waiting. Noah's not going to be saved in this story by God just kind of miraculously pulling him out of a situation. God certainly is at work in Noah's story, but Noah's salvation comes in the form of his sweat and blood alongside of God who's at work as well. So Noah has to build a boat. And for some of you who are in the room this morning, I don't know what that boat may be, but God may be calling you to build a boat beside him. He may be calling you to pick up hammer and nails, whatever that may look like in your waiting. But I want to stop here and I want to make a major disclaimer this morning. As I thought about those who are waiting, I realized that this sermon's for some, but it's not for all. Because sometimes we suffer and there's nothing we can do to fix the situation. More effort's not going to work us out of the situation. And some of you are in situations you, you just cannot remedy. And that is some of the most painful kind of waiting, isn't it? To know it's out of our control. Some of you suffered at the for years at the hands of people who've tried to give you home remedies to fix whatever ails you. There's no quick fix for grief, is there? There's no cure for cancer. No cure for Alzheimer's. There's no cure for couples who work and walk through infertility together. And I do not mean to add grief in any way to your situation if you're facing something like that. If you find yourself in a situation that cannot be fixed, 
I want to invite you back next week because next week I want to share a message for you. But in the midst of that disclaimer, I know that this word is important for others in the room today. And I think those of us who do have things that we can do need to be very careful when we give advice to those. And sometimes it just sounds so glib, the advice we give. People who are walking through amounts of pain and we, we rush them out of their grief. But again, that disclaimer does not change the fact that for many of us in the room, our waiting does look like walking and working beside God. There are things we can do in order to wait well in this time of waiting. Uh, you know, in the story of Abraham, there's this story where God calls him to sacrifice his son Isaac. It's a, a difficult story to understand fully, but magically, uh, Miraculously, God provides a ram uh, to be sacrificed instead. In the story of our own sin, and God actually provides His own Son as a means of the salvation for us and for the sins we have committed. We're grateful for those, those miraculous sacrifices that God offers on our behalf. But in the story of Noah, God doesn't miraculously save Noah. In a way, of course, he miraculously saves Noah. He, he does the work of saving him and his family. You can, 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 of course, see the hand of God on this experience. But without Noah building the boat, that would have been the end. And so God invites Noah to be a part of his own salvation. God isn't going to cause this boat to magically appear. God wants to partner with Noah. God wants Noah to know that when he's on this boat, he's had a hand alongside God in his salvation. And in many of our situations, this may just be the case for us. That God's not magically going to bring that remedy to our lives. It's going to be Him who wants to partner with us. You know, we tend to have one of two responses when we experience waiting in our lives. So Some of us automatically turn to prayer, don't we? That's the first move we do when we get bad news or difficult news or we know we're waiting or others bring that to us. Prayer is the first place we go. For others of us, we automatically get to work. Well, there's no reason to to wait around, let's make a plan and let's uh, tomorrow get up and do what we need to do to check it off. Some of us pray as if everything depends on God and some of us work as if everything depends on us. But I believe the call is to both of these things. It's to pray and it's to work. In fact, I would say we ought to pray as if everything depends on God and act as if God's only means of healing in the world is through the church. It's through us and through our action. And that's what Noah does. When, before Noah puts hammer to nails, his first move is to seek God on this, to hear from God. In other words, he prays and then he acts. Perhaps you've heard the story about the village that was, uh, the floodwaters were rising. And there was a man of God that was a, a faithful man of God that trusted that God was going to save him in the midst of these floodwaters that were rising. And so, when the waters rose to his knees, some neighbors began to get their paddle boats out and their canoes, and they, they paddled away, and they said to him, jump in, jump in the canoe. We're here to save you. And the man replied, no, 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 God is, God is going to save me. Puzzled, the friends in the canoe just went ahead and rowed on. The waters continue to climb and pouring through the windows, and our devout Christian man is, is paddling inside of his house when all of a sudden there's a, a speedboat that comes up, and the speedboat comes by, and, and people wave and, and, and say to him, we're here to save you. Would you jump in the boat with us? We want to, this is your means of salvation. And, and his response is, no, 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 God, God's going to be the one to save me. The waters keep rising. 
So he has to get up on the roof of his house as these waters rise. And all, all of a sudden he hears the thud, thud, thud of the helicopter that's coming. Coming to, to save him. The rescue mission that was sent just uh, for him. And as the Coast Guard lowers the basket and a rescue driver, diver shouts to him, hey, Climb in, we're here to, to save you. The man said, no, 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 God, God's going to save me. Don't worry about me. And so this, this diver goes back up into the helicopter and, and moves on without the man that he'd come to save. The story comes to a tragic end, and in heaven, the bewildered man respectfully asks the Lord, I thought you were going to save me. Where were you? What are you talking about, the Lord replies. I sent a canoe, canoe I sent a boat and a helicopter. What more did you want? And as I think about the waiting times in my life, that story feels a little bit like what I've done, I think, sometimes. I wonder how many times I've, I've missed the canoe. I wonder how many times I've missed the boat. I wonder how many times I've missed the helicopter because I was so intent waiting on God to do what he was waiting on me to step aside and join him in doing. I like the way Shane Claiborne writes about this in his book, Becoming the Answer to Our Prayers. He writes, that's the beautiful mystery. We have a God who chooses to need us. We have a God who doesn't want us to, to want, want to change the world without us. We have a God who longs to cooperate with us. I love that idea, don't you? That God partners with his people that, that yes, Jesus comes on the earth, but he pours his life into 12 disciples that are going to go and partner with God and, and expanding and sending his message out throughout the world. God wants each and every one of us, to find our place in his ongoing mission. I'm comforted by that. I'm encouraged by that, aren't you? To know that we don't just wait on heaven. No, no, no. God's bringing heaven to earth, and we partner with him in his restoration of all things. And, and Noah gets this chance to partner with God, doesn't he? And for years, we've been telling a story at vacation Bible schools because he picked up his hammer and he picked up his nails and he went to work with the word that God had given him. So at this point, I'm sure there are some of you that are going, okay, I got the message, Colin, but what in the world does that mean in my situation? What, what is the bow? What's the helicopter? What, what are the hammer and nails when it comes to me and where I am? What am I supposed to do while I wait? And while this morning I can't speak to every situation in the room, I do have some ideas that I want to share with you. I think the place to start is to start where Noah did, and that's by listening to God. This isn't a story about prayer and action. It's really just about action. This is a story that trusts that in the waiting we hear from God. This weekend, I, I went to Memphis to be a part of a racial uh, reconciliation unity uh, conference. There were about 20 uh, white ministers and elders that were there. There were about 20 black ministers and elders that were there. And I, this is something God's been laying on my heart that we've got to do better. In. So what I want to do is I want to get to work. I want to do something. So my brother Jerry Taylor, who's a professor at, at ACU, uh, I went in August and I, I said, Jerry, I, I'm just I'm feeling this call on my heart to do something. And uh, Jerry said, well, uh, let me tell you what we're going to do. In December, we're going to get together a group and we're going to be in Memphis and we're going we're gonna to spend time praying. And I was a bit disappointed because I was saying, Jerry, that's, I, I want to do something. And Jerry was insistent to say, until we hear from God what to do. Doesn't matter what we do. And so, for the last 30 hours before flying back late last night, we spent time in.
prayer in silence with one another. They're hearing from God, testing our hearts, praying to be indifferent from our agendas and to listen clearly to God's agenda. And I wish I could report back that God spoke clearly about what it is to do. This is going to be a continuing process. But I'm beginning to trust more and more that I don't have a clue what to do before I listen to God. Quiet my heart because we are so busy it's impossible to hear from them, aren't we? When the first part of that retreat was just me trying to kind of clear out my mind, clear out my soul of the busyness that we just stuffed down. But we heard from the Lord. And I wonder if we need to start there even more deeply than we have before to start by listening, to start by finding times of silence and solitude that God would act. And so I think we start where Noah starts. And most of us don't have a, the faintest clue what that looks like. I, to be honest, don't know what it means to hear from God all the time. But once we hear from God, once we spend that time, we have a sense, we, we move into action, don't we? And so the second challenge is once we hear from God, we, we move. And, and, and as I'm thinking about the story of Noah, of, of Noah, I'm thinking about how ridiculous he could have looked in his action. Because he hears from God, build a boat, but every sense we have about the book of Genesis leading up to this is rain has never fallen on the earth. The first indication we have of that is in Genesis 6. Now that may have been happening, but God seems to water from the, from the bottom <laughs> the Eden until that experience is gone. And so God tells Moses there's going to be rain. Maybe Moses, maybe Noah, I'm sorry, I mix up Moses and Noah all the time. Maybe Noah, maybe Noah uh, has never seen rain. Maybe he's never seen a boat. I don't, I don't know. But God tells him, you're going to build this big, gigantic boat. And, and, and so Mo, Noah gets to work. God saved Moses through water too, didn't he? Noah gets to work. And I have to think that people thought it was ridiculous. What are you doing, Noah? Why are you building this big boat? What, what in the world? Is, what do you call this thing? And I have to wonder in our own lives, when we hear these ridiculous things that maybe we're called to do, our first thought is, boy, that would look ridiculous. Surely that's not what I really heard from God, because if that happened, everyone around me would ridicule me. They would, I don't, I don't have everything, all the resources I need to get started on this. I, I don't know if we trust God that if we actually heard from Him and stepped into it, that we'd actually do the work because to do the work may mean that we didn't hear correctly from God. Isn't that the doubt? Is that God calls us to something big and, and we might just look ridiculous on the other side of it because it's the call of God, something only He can accomplish. And that is going to look ridiculous if it's not a word from God. But Noah took the risk and there's no indication that, that Noah knew what was going to happen, how this was all going to come. All he could say was, well, God told me that He was going to destroy the earth with, with rain and he needed me to build a boat, and so he built a boat. And this isn't just any rowboat. I mean, we're talking about a massive boat here, a boat that's supposed to contain his family and, and the entire animal kingdom. Have you ever had that situation where you've been standing in a place, a massive place, maybe a, some kind of big structure, a stadium? Remember the first time I walked into AT&T Stadium and I took a tour and I got to go on the field. I stood on that star. I remember just kind of looking all around me and, and my thought was, how do you even, what, where's the, how do you start this project? And I know some of you are engineers and you, you can rail off that whole list of how you do that, right? But for me, a layperson when it comes to engineering, I don't have a clue. 
I assume you kind of mark off the boundaries. You make plans. You make sure you have all the materials and the money laid up. You, you kind of mark off where the foundation would be laid. But at some point, you've got to take the first nail or bolt or whatever, whatever it is you put in. Again, I'm kind of clueless in all this. But at some point, somebody has to do something. Has to take that first step to build this massive thing. And I... Sometimes that's paralyzing, isn't it? When we have something that God's called us to do that's, that's massive, it's big, and we wonder, how are we going to get there? And so we think about step 172,000, and we forget about step one. And so I don't know what it might be that God is calling you to, what boat, what hammer and nails, what it looks like in your life, but I want to challenge you this morning not to think about step 72, not to think about step 576, or... 100,000, start with step one. what's What's the thing God is calling you to do tomorrow, Monday morning, to begin? Where do you start? Maybe your project or dream seems impossible and you're not sure where to start and it seems ridiculous. Perhaps you feel paralyzed, but I want to ask you to start with step one. Brush up that resume. Start by making the appointment to see the doctor. Start by going to the Jim, Monday morning, tomorrow, start by grabbing lunch with the friend who might be the one to help you discern. But start with step one and don't worry about step 72. God will have enough for that day. Each day has enough trouble of its own, Jesus said. And sometimes the most important thing we can do is just to show up, isn't it? Just to show up and to do the work. It reminds me of a story in the Gospels. We'll finally get there in lesson two in this Christmas series. Luke 2, if you have your Bibles, open with me if you would. It's the story of a guy named Simeon. A lost character in the midst of the story. He didn't find a place at the nativity, and we often don't tell his story, but I think it's a significant story. Luke 2, verse 25 is where we read about Simeon. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting. Let me say that again. He was waiting. For the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. He was waiting. Verse 26. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, As you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Simeon was waiting. He didn't wait at home. Every day he would go. He would step out of his house and he would walk to the temple. And he would look expectantly probably offering the request of Psalm 5-3 perhaps, right? God, maybe this is the day. Would you, would you bring that child? And then day after day he went. I wonder how tired he got of that. I wonder how many days he showed up and, and doubted whether God was going to do it in the end. I wonder what that waiting looked like. I, I wonder so many things about Simeon. But there's t- this tenacity to him, and sometimes it just meant step one was going to happen day after day after day after day. But he showed up. And because he showed up day after day after day, the baby comes eventually and he gets to to be there at the dedication, the sacrifice when Jesus comes. 
And I like that. Something about Simeon that I need to be more like. That doesn't lose hope, that doesn't doubt in the midst of the way, and that chooses to show up day after day after. Isn't that the biggest battle for us sometimes? Just to show up. Showing up may just be the most important act of resistance you can offer right now in your waiting. But keep doing it. Keep doing it. I want to close this morning with a word from Shane Claiborne. He writes about Advent. And this Advent writing that I saw was quite helpful as we are in this season of waiting as a reminder of what God does in this time. Advent meaning the coming is a time when we wait expectantly. Christians began to celebrate it as a season during the 4th and 5th centuries. Like Mary, we celebrate the coming of the Christ child, what God has already done. And we wait in expectation of the full coming of God's reign on earth and for the return of Christ, what God will yet do. But this waiting is not a passive waiting. It is an active waiting. As any expectant mother knows, this waiting also involves preparation, exercise, nutrition, care, prayer, work, and birth involves pain, blood, tears, joy, release, community. It's called labor for a reason. Likewise, we are in a world pregnant with hope. And we live in the expectation of the coming of God's kingdom on earth as we wait. We also work, cry, pray, ache. We are the midwives of another world. That doesn't give you hope. I don't know what will. These birth pains are only pains in front of another world that's on its way. And just as those waited on Jesus as the Messiah in the first century, just as Simeon showed up every single day, this is the call for Christians in the 21st century. It's to show up as we wait on the world that's on its way and to get to work. To have meals with people that we wouldn't otherwise have meals with. To show up and speak a word of good news. To do that act in the name of Jesus as a reminder to people of who is in control and what he's bringing. There is hope, church. Even in the midst of the pain. Even as we hold hammer and nails in our hand and wonder what, how this structure might just be completed. God is at work in our world. And the Christmas story reminds us of this. And so continue with your sweat and your blood and your tears. Continue your aching and your groaning because that groaning is bringing into the world the good news of Jesus Christ. My trust is that God is at work while we wait as we are at work in that waiting. Let's pray as we close our time this morning. Father, the to-do lists are long in this season. And the pain is also present in this season. For some, it's empty chairs, and for others, it's dreams that have been unmet. For others, it's news that has come that's difficult. And for others, it's news of a birth that's on its way. God, we're waiting on so many things, but most of all, we're waiting on the return of Jesus. The cry of Scripture is Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. We wait. But we do not wait on our beds and our couches. We wait with hammer and nails in hand. We wait by showing up every single day. We wait by taking step one and trusting that you'll be there to ensure that the steps ahead will be taken care of. 
So God, walk with us this week as we take hammer and nails. Walk with us this week as we show up to the temple. Walk with us this week as we muster the courage to go to the gym once again. Walk with us again as we make the proposal and show up in whatever ways that may look like in our lives. God, would you walk with each of us as we're in this waiting? Would you show up in the work? We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.